the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello, welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. I'm Eleanor Johnson, and today we're very grateful to be joined by the Honourable Mr Justice Fordham. Mr Justice Fordham, you said for this podcast you prefer to use your title of Master of Students, is that right? Well, I quite like it when people say master, because I, then I get to hear whether they say master right. or master. And, and the one good thing, there's only one good thing about the title master, and that is it enables me to show that I was brought up in Lincolnshire because I say master. <laughs> uh, no, you can call me Mike. OK, thank you very much. Mike was previously a prominent QC at Blackstone Chambers, and he's now a High Court judge, having taken up appointment in January. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Your career has seen numerous successes. I was wondering if you could please tell us a bit about your career so far. Yeah, well, I'm thinking sort of from the start, from the perspective of student, and I I definitely got to be a barrister because of Grey's Inn, Mm. um, because I applied and I didn't have money behind me and so I wouldn't have been able to to do it and was able to get a scholarship that enabled me to to do that and then I I really stumbled into commercial pupillage and tenancy and I did that for four years before I realized that that really wasn't working out for me and then I switched completely to do public law and human rights so I sort of have a an experience of how you can redirect and I do think to some extent things happen to us through coincidence, you've certainly got to be open-minded. I wouldn't have too much of a track I didn't from the start as to how you think it, it wants to work out. For me, I did know that I wanted to be a barrister and I was told there was no way that I could be a barrister because it wasn't for people like me. And that really spurred me on. And I decided I was going to try. And so that's how I set out. And then I think, you know, what you, what you learn is that people can really help you along the way. So, for example... Professor Sir Ian Brownlee, QC as he was, I will call him Ian, brought me into a case called Pinochet in the old House of Lords. He probably didn't need a junior at all. I certainly don't think he needed me. And then David Panic used me as a junior in a number of cases that he did, where he almost certainly didn't need me either. And I think you realise that, you know, by people enlisting you in teams, you can really get fantastic experience and you you learn a lot and then you get lucky breaks like Diane Blood came to me she was the uh, sperm widow who wanted to have artificial insemination with her late husband's sperm they didn't have a written signed document from him which meant it was illegal and we had to find a way to see if she could win a judicial review and it became a very famous case so you know you do things like that and then you get a bit of a reputation and a bit of a track record but a lot of what I did I did through writing and trying to show people that I knew my area of the law and then hoping that they would try me out. It's really wonderful to hear your success story um, with scholarships. I, I'm a beneficiary of scholarships myself. It's made a massive change to my life. And I know for a lot of students, it's the same. Um, and it's also really great to hear about how everyone at the bar helps each other out. I think, um, have you found that it has been a friendly place from, from what you've said? Yeah, I mean, I think you can test it by thinking, by looking at the way the inns approach what they do with students. And obviously I can only speak for Grace because that's where I'm 
the Master of Students and, and I'm heavily involved. And I always say to the students that if you just stop and think about it, you have these amazing self-employed, very busy barristers, a lot of whom are, you know, in court day in, day out, and, and they will give up their time to help train students and do other events with students, whether it's mooting or whatever it is. And and they, they're not doing that because they get some kudos or, you know, somebody marks their card and it helps them with their career advancement. They actually do it because they can remember what it was like. They can remember that you need help, a helping hand along the way, and they want people to succeed and they want them to succeed on merit and they want them to succeed whoever they are and wherever they're from. And that's why they do it. And if you stop and think about that, I think it's a truly amazing thing that self-employed barristers who are busy and could just, you know, go home and prepare their next case or go out and do something else actually choose to give up their time to, to work with the students. That's the whole point. That's the whole ethos of the bit of grazing that I'm privileged to be involved in and we're going to chat about tonight. And I think that says a lot about what drives, you know, what, what barristers think and what they think about access for others because it would be very easy to just focus on your own situation and just get on and be as successful as you can be. And actually, people are looking to, to lend a helping hand and help students to cross that bridge, and it's not an easy one to cross. And part of the, part of the point about all of that is that we know that because we've crossed it. So don't forget, and you'll be in this position, Eleanor, in, at some stage in the future, you'll hear the voice of me, you know, echoing from the past, <laughs> saying, don't forget. You know, that's the responsibility we owe. We can't really pay back the people who help us, but what we can do is turn and try and help others. Of course, yeah, and to carry that goodwill on and uh, wanting to help more people, whatever their background. Let me give you an example. Can I have that? Of course, yeah. So I was a student and uh, I was studying law and there was an event, actually it was a grazing event, and I got talking to a barrister who, again, had just given up the evening to be among students and talk to them. I said, I'm not sure, you know, I think I might be from the wrong side of the tracks, whether it's really for me, whether I can really make it work. And, and he said to me, why don't you come and see what we do? And uh, so I travelled to London, and he, as I remember it, of course I was young and I might be misremembering it. It's like when you go back to your school and it looks tiny and you remember it, which was huge. Yeah. So what I remember is that he spent a long time, you know, well more than an hour, just chatting with me in his chambers about the bar and why I should do it and encouraging me. And I've always remembered ever since because it had a big effect on me. And I found mm. out later that he was John Mumry, who was who was doing the big GCHQ government cases at that time, really, really busy, went on to be a Court of Appeal judge. You know, a really big deal. I didn't know this. And he had chosen to encourage me, he didn't know who I was, and was mm. giving up his time. And so I just know firsthand what that feels like and what an impact that can make. That hour that he chose to spend with you, despite being extremely busy, really influenced your career. Yeah, massively. And I send him a Christmas card every year and I remind him and I say the same thing. Oh, wow. So I, I did it because of you. That's incredible. So you are now, of course, Master of Students. What so far has been your favourite aspect of this role? Well, i tell you what I like. I like um, the fact that I can give the inside information about the inn. I can talk about the benches because I'm one of them and, and sort of how it's mm. run and 
what we're doing and where we're coming from. I'm not selling anything. I'm not part of the education department. And I can put myself where they are, hopefully, because I can still remember it. And what I try to do is explain how important the students are to graze in because they're really, really important. They're really central to what, what Grey's Inn is all about, what it stands for. And I try to, my main thing is to try and get people to relax and be at ease and make themselves feel at home and make themselves feel comfortable and just get their head around the idea that they, we don't want them to turn into clones. You know, we're not mm. trying to produce barrister clones. What we want is for people to bring themselves and their personalities and their their flair and their innovation and uh, their character and then become the barrister and the best barrister that they can be, but without surrendering who they are. So I, well, that's my favourite thing. I, I like it when it's collective. I like when I, like when I get to sit down with um, groups of students. They may be students who've joined the inn, they may be training, they may be students who are thinking of joining the inn and just try and talk to them, you know, from our side and from the inside of our side and hopefully get them to relax a bit and not be put off and intimidated because I think the bar can be really intimidating and I think the inns can be really intimidating and stuffy and it can seem, you know, weird and it is weird and so <laughs> you need to explain to them why it is weird but it's also wonderful. Because the bar can seem can't it, quite an inaccessible profession, especially if you don't know anybody go who's at the bar already. Massively. I, I think that's absolutely right. I don't know. I think it, that's the way it presented to me. And it felt like it was still an old boys network. And I used the mm. word boys deliberately. Mm. Uh, and it felt like it was very narrow. And it felt like it was a lot for people who'd gone to particular schools and kind of people who knew people and had contacts. I kept hearing contacts, make your contacts, and I, that's really off-putting. Mm. It's intimidating, isn't it? If you start from the position that you haven't got them and, and you're thinking, well, why should I have to make contacts? I would just want to be able to have a go and see if I can do it on my merit. That's what, that's mm. what you want. That's what everybody wants. Exactly. And you, you said earlier on that you thought the bar, I think you said it's not for people like me. And I think you really demonstrate that that's not the case and that in fact it's for anybody who has the potential to be a barrister. I hope so. I, I, I mean, I, I, what I always say to students is if you're thinking about it, what you need to do is look at what barristers do and have a really, really good look at what barristers do. And that's actually quite difficult at the moment for obvious reasons with the pandemic, but perhaps we can come back to that because there are some things you can do. Mm. Um, so we know there are courts everywhere around the country and just, you know, to, to, to get a, good informed feel for what the barrister does and then I say to them if when you've done that if it's for you you'll know it and if you're not sure don't do it because it's tough it's demanding but it's also brilliant it's a little bit like constantly revising for an exam because you know you've got your next hearing or your next conference and you're, you're always against the clock and you've got to kind of thrive with a bit of pressure and a bit of adrenaline, but you're going to get, you know, to be the voice for somebody and to stand up for them in a court and speak up for them. And I think, you know, you know, when you've had a good look, 
whether you feel that's for you. And I say then say, if, if you think it is, then go for it. And we will try to help you as best we can to make that happen so that if you know, if you can do it on merit, then you can succeed. That's what we want. Of course, it's nerve wracking when it stop when you stop feeling any nerves. That's when you should stop. So there's a difference, isn't there, between it being quite an intimidating thing to do and it not being for you. Yeah, n- nerves are fine. You've got to embrace nerves. If you've got a problem with nerves, then mm. you're going to have a problem. You, it's, I mean, actors are the same. Yeah. They always get nervous. And if they're not nervous, there's something wrong. And it's the same, I think, at the bar. You know, I never expected to get a good night's sleep before a hearing in the Supreme Court. Why would you? And you just have to embrace it. And that, that doesn't change just because you've mm. been doing it for 25 years. So just embrace it and use them. Mm. And the fact you're under pressure and you've got stress, and you've got deadlines and you're being put on the spot and you've been asked a question you don't know the answer to and you've got to think in the moment and you've got to react or re- make a reply or ask a question to a witness or address a jury or whatever it is, that's either going to light the spark for you and you're going to feel, I can do this, it's exciting, I can do, I can cope with it, yes, I've got nerves. Or it's going to be off-putting and you're going to want to be in an office somewhere working as a team, pushing paper around. And, and I don't knock it because I think working as teams and working, for example, if you want to go and work in a firm of solicitors and all that, I, I'm absolutely not denigrating that at all. I think it's a question of what suits you and there are different parts. And I work with solicitors my whole career and they're brilliant. But we just, you know, there are different roles within the law. And it's a question of working out whether the barrister role is the right one for you, if, if that's what you're thinking about. That's really helpful advice. And I think will be especially helpful for the pupils that are starting this week, starting their careers. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the pandemic earlier. I was wondering what your take is on the move online for student activities during the pandemic. Yeah, well, I, I think we've got to be honest and start by saying it's regrettable and it's not just challenging. That's the word you hear, you know, challenging because people want to sort of make it a positive. Mm. And it's, I think it's difficult. And I think it's a bit weird and it can feel isolating and it can feel a bit cheap and a bit of a sort of thin and plastic alternative to what we would all like to be doing, which was to, is to be sort of engaging in, in the same space and in the way that we, that we're used to. But what I do think is, yeah, starting from that position, you say, okay, we've got to get on with it. I, I think you then have to ask the question, how can I go beyond sort of making the best of a difficult situation, which is the minimum that we all have to do, make the best of a difficult situation. We've all got to do that. And how can you push beyond that and actually start looking for positives? And I do honestly think, I'm not just saying this, as a way of kind of managing the fact that of what I've just said, I, I, I do honestly think that there's then a, a gateway to doing some things you would not be able to do if you weren't online. So I'll give you some examples. So we, we might have an event online for students. And if it was in Grayson Hall, we'd have to restrict the numbers straight away. You'd also have people traveling long distances. So say if it's Grayson students and they're in, different learning institutions sort of around the country in their on their pathway. And you've got there's a very real difference between someone who's who's at Red Lion Square and just walking along the road and someone who's up in Newcastle. And 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 I think by being online, the first thing it does is it's a level of providing people have got the technology and are able to access it, then it doesn't matter where they are. And you don't have to limit their numbers either. 
And then I think I had a good example recently where we did something on a Saturday morning. And this was for prospective joiners of the inn. And we were able to have large numbers for the reason I've just given. And they were all over the place. And I said to them, you know, we know you're in your bedroom or your kitchen and that's fine. And you don't have to have your camera on. You can make a cup of tea. And that's the other thing. You can chill out when you're online because no one can see that you're texting or mm. multitasking or <laughs> doing, doing something else. And what, what we did was we had these amazing speakers. And I just know hand on heart, we would not have got them certainly not all of them, if they'd had to come in and give up a whole Saturday morning and come into grazing, because it just doesn't work like that. It depends where they are. Mm. But I know that when you say to them, all you've got to do is be in front of a screen wherever you are just for half an hour. And I was chairing a, you know, a discussion with them. And I know that those students got exposed to yeah, a kind of quality of person and therefore interaction and therefore experience that they wouldn't have had if we'd been in the room. And so I think you've got to, you've got to um, accept it, make the best of it, and then making the best of it isn't trying to do your best to make it as close as it can be to what we'd be doing otherwise. I think making the best of it is going beyond that and saying, okay, there are going to be drawbacks, there are going to be things you just can't get around and you have to accept that. What can we do to, that we wouldn't be able to do? otherwise and how can we you know how can we bring some real pluses to it and i've seen that i'm not gonna i'm gonna pretend it's all you know it's all plus 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 but i think there's plenty of pluses around it and that's very much the way i have come to see it certainly some positive aspects we can take from this um obviously the move online is a big change which we've seen recently how do you think that the bar that current students will enter will vary when compared to previous cohorts? And how might it stay the same? I think that's a really difficult question to answer. I mean, obviously, I can say what I think. But I mean, I think we have to now accept that apart from the usual stuff we would have, which is just the trends and trends happen. And so there's technology. And when I can still remember when I started, this shows how old I am that computers were only just coming in and that we still had typists and there was they were typing up handwritten documents. Some You had to retype a page if they made a mistake. Really old school. And obviously there, there are lots of changes that happen and that, and that kind of wave continues and things go digital and all the rest of it. But I do think it's at the moment it's difficult to see past, um, past Brexit and the pandemic as the two big things of our sort of current era. And we know they're going to involve long-standing change to the substance and procedure of the law and the practice of the law and what barristers do and how barristers and courts and solicitors and, and other lawyers do what they do. I think it's actually very difficult to say with confidence how different it's going to be for how long. I mean, I think a bit like I was saying earlier, the the online hearings have got some positives to them. I'll give you a I'll give you a, a practical example. I mean, I, I always get the cause list to include my clerk's email address with every online hearing I do, so people can email my clerk and ask for permission to observe the hearing, which is one of the reasons why, actually, ironically, hearings could be more accessible now than they were in the past, because you don't you know, have physically to come to the Royal Courts of Justice and sit in the back of the court. That's interesting. And so I've, I've had hearings, you know, where I've, I might be on the phone on BT conference call, 
I'm not telling you anything you wouldn't know if you hadn't been in on one of my public hearings, but I've had hearings where people are in on the phone and we're dealing with the hearing and we'll come to the end of it and we'll deal with the order. And I'll just say, okay, right, this is the order I'm going to make. I am now going to email it to all the lawyers. And I say to anyone else who's listening, I am doing the electronic equivalent of handing a piece of paper to all the lawyers for them to look at because it just is more efficient that way. But I will read out the order when I've when I've made it. And I say, mm. I'm not handing it, I'm not emailing it to everybody, but then I wouldn't hand it to everybody if you were all in court either. And I ping the email and they get it immediately that we've got that, looking at that, and we can mm. agree the order there and then, or they make their submissions on it, I make my ruling. And something like that, again, again, I just think is an example of, well, we're working remotely and electronically. How can we make that an enhancement in that way. Anyway, coming back to your question, I, I, I think the big question is going to be, one of the big questions is going to be, what have we learned through this about working from home, about people, uh, about diversity and inclusion and working from home and people who, for various reasons, need flexibility? And what have we learned about our system and our court system? I'm absolutely sure that we will want to go back to a lot of the old ways, they're tried and tested, they're done for good reason. I'm not, you know, an advocate for moving away from that. But I'm also sure that we will want to carry with us this experience and that some aspects of this experience will carry forward and probably wouldn't have done or wouldn't have done so immediately. So I think it's quite an exciting time. I think there's going to be a lot of challenges in terms of the substance of the law and in terms of, you know, post-Brexit and post-COVID. Obviously, I'm not going to comment on any of that, except that I will say that you could probably work out that it's not a time to turn your back on the vocation of the law if that is a vocational magnet for you because you are needed. Whatever side you're going to be on, whoever's voice you're going to be, you know, there are always going to be and probably increasingly going to be disputes that need to be either resolved in a court or resolved against the backcloth of what the courts are doing. And, you know, it may be that in some respects in, in, the, in the years that lie ahead for us with all the implications of everything that we are experiencing, it may be that in some respects that's going to be truer than ever. So there are ways in which barristers can make the best of the current situation and in which this might positively influence the bar in the future. How could students make the best of the current situation? Well, look, I think, I, I think you've got to make sure that you are literally switched on, switched on to what there is online and switched on via the website to what's happening and in communication if you need to be Let's say, let's say we're talking about the inn uh, and the education department. You know, you need to reach out and make contact, make sure you know what's going on and make sure what, you know, that you know what you can participate in. And, and beyond the inn, if I just take my example of, of, what, of my bit of the legal system. So I, I do hearings where I'm the judge. And at the moment, some of them are remote. In fact, a lot of them are remote hearings. Now, if you want to observe a remote hearing, you can. 
there's a cause list that's published for the Royal Court, just taking my courts, which are in central London at the Royal Courts of Justice. There's a cause list every day. And you'll see their email addresses and contacts that you can make. And you don't have to be a legal journalist. You can be a student, you can be a member of the public. And for mine, there's always my clerk's email address adjacent to any remote hearing. And anybody, any member of the public, any interested person, because this is what open justice is. Because we know there are difficulties at the moment, you know, with coming with us being in courtrooms. And, And even if we're in a courtroom, it might be the worst time for members of the public to try and attend and feel safe in doing that. I don't know how people feel about that. But you can make contact and you can say, can I please observe the hearing? And I'll tell you, I've never said no. And I will start the hearing and I'll say, this is the case. You can't make a recording of it because it's a criminal offence. We've got people observing. It's a public hearing. I am not going to read out names of those who are observing the hearing. I wouldn't do that if we were in court. I'm going to hear the submissions from the advocates in exactly the way I would if we were all sitting in court. In fact, I do go over to court. I sit in my judge's room. I do all my hearings, my remote hearings from my judge's room. And then I deal with it and I try and make sure that if there are people who are observing, that they can follow what's going on. And that's something, you know, if you're stuck in the current climate, you wanted to sort of find out what barristers do, that should be an enhancement that you would be able to observe a hearing without moving. You could be in your pyjamas. Nobody can see you. And you can observe a hearing in the current COVID climate from your kitchen or from bed. And uh, that's what I mean. You know, that's the sort of thing where if you're talking about how can you turn things around a bit in the current difficult circumstances and looking for, for a positive, I think that's a good example. And it's not just me. I, you know, remote hearings are accessible. They're, of course they are. And all judges will have their own practices. But it's important that what we do can be observed by anyone who's interested, for whatever reason they're interested. And taking those steps, so for example, watching online hearings, it really shows commitment to the bar, which of course is what um, people are looking for in people's applications and in scholarship applications and in general, as you said earlier, if you want to know what a barrister does, the best way is to look. I think you're right, and and I and I'm I'm just hesitating slightly because I, I let's be honest, the kind of what have you done question and how can you show your interested question, does tend to separate out into two things. Uh, one is the real, and one is the fake. And by fake, I mean uh, someone did this so that it would look good uh, on a CV. And of course, you know that is what it is, and I'm not going to comment on that. All, all I would say is that take an interest because you're taking an interest because it's genuine. Mm. And if you're interested in the bar, you should take an interest and come and look at what barristers do before you make a decision. Yeah, it, it'll have the consequence that if someone asks you, what did you do during COVID? You can answer and you can answer in a way that's real. And I'm not knocking anyone who looks ahead and thinks uh, I will be able to answer that question in that way. You know, each has their own path. But I tend to always focus in these, in, on, the, on these kind of topics on the, you know, do what's right for you. Think about what your opportunities are and go for it. And yeah, it will have the consequence that you will come over as brilliant. But that's because you are brilliant. 
And of course, as you highlighted earlier, the bar is a challenging career to be in. And to go into it, you need to have that genuine interest. Yeah, I couldn't put it, couldn't put it better, so I won't. <laughs> uh, you spoke earlier about how you really enjoy speaking to students, either current or prospective. How can students have the opportunity to speak with you? Speak with me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not going to give you my mobile phone number. No, no, wasn't this, that, that on, might on be this, a bit far. On this podcast. <laughs> Look, I mean, in terms of events, I, I, all I can say is keep your eye out, get on the website, see what's, see what's going on. In terms of making contact, I think you can always reach out through the education department and, and say, and, you know, messages will be, will be passed on. I'm a great fan of students being able to make contact with barristers. I used to have it when I was at the bar and, and people used to, used to email them. They'd find out it's kind of Chambers email. Of course, I'm not in that job anymore. But it's not a bad thing to do, I think, as long as you're careful about it. You know, you don't want to besiege people and you don't want to send really lengthy emails. But what I used to do is if a student contacted me with the, you know, taking the initiative and saying, I'd, I'd like to come and see one of your cases in court. And this, this is old school. This is pre-COVID. But I, I, I used to say, fine, not a problem. We'll find a hearing that might be interesting to you. I'll let you know when and where. Come to court. When it's finished, come and introduce yourself, or possibly even before the start of the day. And I said, if, and if there's time, we'll have a cup of coffee. And, and the great thing about that is it's, it's very easy on the barrister. You can do that. You've got to be in court anyway. You've prepared the case. You're, you're arguing it. All you're doing is really telling a student where and when they can see it. And then if, if you get the time, you might have a quick word with them afterwards or possibly a follow-up email. And I think that kind of thing works. But, um, and I've, I've done that myself. I did that for many years. And uh, so I know that kind of thing can work. But obviously, I can't commit people uh, to what they will agree to. You just need to be sensitive about it and, and sensible and, and bearing in mind that you're dealing with people who are probably getting many hundreds of emails every day and, you know, dealing with a lot of important stuff against a load of deadlines. So don't be put, put out if, if they don't reply. But, you know, that kind of thing, I think, can work. And as I've said, in the, in the COVID era, there are ways to observe a hearing, with, you know, in your pyjamas. So what could be better than that? Ideal. Master Fordham, you've given us loads of interesting insights so far. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to students before we end the podcast? Um, yeah, look, I, I feel like it's a balance because for the people that you know have a good look at what what barristers do and feel that it's right for them and want to go for it my message is very clear which is go for it and don't let people put you off and and i i don't want to be misunderstood because it's very competitive and it's a hard job it's a brilliant job but it's a hard it's a punishing job and it's a demanding job so i i kind of want people to be able to discriminate for themselves about whether it's right for them. But I would say don't be put off. Certainly don't think, you know, you're not from the right place or you're not the right kind of person. It's not for you. It's, it's a closed shop or it's a narrow band and all that kind of thing. I, 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 I would want prospective students and students to go for it and to go for it in the confidence that there are people who want to help them 
um, through all the inns, um, through the education and support that you get through the inns. And, and what I'd want to say to Grey's Inn students or, or students who are thinking of joining Grey's Inn is just to, it's just to tell them that we have a place, the inn, but the inn is about the people. And there are some amazing people at Grey's Inn, lots of amazing people at Grey's Inn. And, and I like to think we're friendly and really down to earth. That's in the end what really counts with me. That, that's what chimes with me is when you can feel like it doesn't matter however high someone is up the system or what they've done. We're all the same. We won't make mistakes. We've all got strengths and we've all got weaknesses and we're just in different places. And we were all of us back where the students or prospective students were. And we can still remember it. And I think it's really important that that's the way that we connect and that's the spirit in which we connect. So my message would be, you know, that certainly the inn that I'm involved in, and that's the only one I can speak about, it's a place where you can be at home and you can be yourself. And there are people who are fervently wanting to help you to flourish and succeed on your merits and to do that in a way that is open and inclusive and diverse and all those things that we want to be and should be and need to be probably now more than ever. So if I could, I'd give you a big smile. I'd show you that I'm not dressed up. I'm dressed down uh, and I try to make you feel at ease. As a student last year, I can say I completely agree with everything you just said. It's been really, really wonderful to hear about your route to the bar, about your career, about your advice for prospective barristers. And I'm sure all of this will be really helpful and really motivating for current and for future students. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. I'd actually had quite a dull day today, so it was nice to get to chat to you. Thanks very much. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.